This week on the Joseph series, Pastor Dave Roberts speaks to us about Joseph and his loneliness while in jail. But the fulfillment of his role was still to come. Sometimes we believe our timing is best. Sometimes we believe we know better than God. Can we trust and wait? I, I want to start by saying that um, after Cindy and I were married, and we've been married 41 years, yes, um, we went straight into full-time ministry. I was 23 years old. That lasted about eight months, and I was thrilled when it was over. Six years went by. Uh, before I accepted my next full-time ministry assignment. In the next 10 years, I served in five different churches in various capacities, and it did not end well. I remember thinking to myself, somehow this is not working. So one day, I, I went to the Lord in prayer, and I asked him, I says, Lord, if there would be any way that I could avoid ministry the rest of my life, could I please do something else? By the way, have you ever asked God a question that you knew what the answer was before you asked it, but you asked it anyway, just to get your point across? You see, during those years, I had to make a decision as to whom I would live for. Was I going to live for my own peace of mind and my own prosperity and uh, my own happiness? Or would I live for him and his purposes in my life? For everyone who walks in the center of God's purposes for their life, there has been a moment, maybe a season, where they had to make the decision, who am I going to live for? Is my life going to be about me? Or is it going to be given to God and just completely for his use? As we look at this scene from Joseph's life today, I want you to think about that question. Whom do you live for? And I, I would also say, it doesn't matter how old you are. Children, youth, parents, seniors, whatever season of life you're in, who are you living for? Joseph is in prison. That's where we left him last week. We learn in this story that Pharaoh has a problem with his cupbearer and his baker. Key people, right? And he tosses them in prison where Joseph is. Here's the story. I'm going to read the whole thing, starting in verse 5 of Genesis 40. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, Oh, we've had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Well, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and it said to him and said to him Here's the dream 
In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said, well, okay, here's the interpretation. This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. That's pretty good for the cupbearer, isn't it? And then Joseph has this little aside. Only, <laughs> do me this favor. Keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Those are true statements. So, the chief baker sees all this. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and just simply said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. He didn't say it like that, I'm sure. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the, chief, and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Have you ever questioned God's timing in your life? Ever thought that God should just move quicker? If he would just listen to us sometimes, right? No doubt Joseph felt the uh, appearance of these two guys in the jail. And, and, and the subsequent dreams that God gave him the interpretation to, God's in this. God's using these guys in this confinement to get me out of here. Yes. He interprets the dreams, tells the cupbearer to put in a good word for him. This is all going so well. He had to feel pretty good about God and this plan that God had came up with. Then it says he's forgotten. The first verse of chapter 41, the next verse after what I read says, and he was in jail two more years. I wonder if Joseph will agree with this next point that I've come up with. God's timing is always perfect. So have you ever prayed and prayed for something? And it seemed as though God just wasn't listening? Have you ever given God some really good ideas on which he could act? Right? I mean, you're willing to obey. Okay, God, whatever you say, uh, I'm willing to obey however you lead, but uh, 
You keep praying and you're just hanging there. You keep sitting in the cell. I mean, look at Joseph's situation. He's in this prison for a while before the dreams, and then the two guys come, and they have their dreams, and, and yet two more years he sits. I mean, we know he wants to get out. We know he's just not really fully compliant with all of this because he tells the guy, remember me. Get me out of this place, for which I'm falsely imprisoned. No doubt about it, he wants out, and yet, there he sits. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Invictus. It's a movie about uh, the South African rugby team in the World Cup of 1995. But it's also about the political situation in South Africa with Nelson Mandela. And when you, when you see the life of Nelson Mandela, you can't help but see some parallels with Joseph. He was falsely imprisoned and kept there for 27 years. And when he's finally released, he had tremendous impact on his country and the world. He was elected president. I mean, I think about that. I think about Joseph, just two years. Nelson Mandela, 27 years. Could I keep my sanity? Could I keep hope alive? <laughs> My integrity? When well, you just wait and wait and wait. There's a proverb that says this, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So I'm going to ask you a question. And it's one of those, of course I know the right answer, okay? You're all going to agree with this statement. But I want you to think about it. Do you believe God always knows better than you know? See, you're quick. <laughs> now, now, many times we don't live like that, nor do we pray like that, but we believe that. So, do you believe that God always knows better than you, even if his timing leaves you in prison for a while? What if God has you in a place of suffering because he loves you? We don't think that way. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's bringing you through. He knows what the future holds. And when your life becomes about your happiness, your prosperity, your relief, when you follow a path that seems right to you, I want you to know here today that you're fighting him. He, he wants to continue to come into your life so that you may be able to completely trust him no matter what that means. I mean, in my wilderness, and that's what I call it, these, those years, I had to reach a point where I said to God, I'll do anything. I just want to be with you and in your will. Even if it means going into the ministry again. 
I'll go. If it means insignificance, I'll go. Right? If it means prison, count me in. His timing is always perfect. When Joseph is told that these men have had dreams, he makes this statement. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Well, he's telling them three things. He's telling them that only God knows what is being communicated here. He's telling them also, if God is communicating it, it will happen. And he's also communicating, I know him, tell me. Because God's word will not be thwarted. I mean, sometimes I put myself in Joseph's situation, right? And you hear the dream from the cupbearer, and uh, you go, and, and God downloads the interpretation to you, and you go, man, I'm excited to tell this guy what he's gonna, what's going to happen. Three days, you're going to be fully restored. You're going to put the cup back in Pharaoh's hand. It's going to be awesome. Then you hear the other guy's dream. And God downloads into your brain exactly what it means. How many of you would have hesitated? Not Joseph. He comes right out with it. He says, they're going to take, you're going to hang you and the birds are going to eat your flesh. I I think about it. I wonder if he told them in love. You know what I mean? You see, Joseph presents the interpretations of good and bad news without compromise. He takes the word of God and he gives it without compromise. God's word is mankind's only hope. Do you believe that today? It is the truth that brings revelation and hope and confidence. Even if the word is hard to hear, even if it's hard to deliver, it is the only thing that is true. And truth will always what? Set you free. (laughs) I think about the world in which we live today. I think there are people in this world who think they really are in charge of this world. You know what I'm saying? They have plans for the future of the world and they're almost giddy with excitement that their Marxist agenda seems to be close at hand. They're looking forward to the one world government where the elites will rule. Oh, they have the United Nations in their back pocket. They have most government leaders on board. They have the big corporations, the media, academia, entertainment. Everyone's coalescing around this movement towards a utopian future for the world. Only one problem with that is what? Well, God's word will not be thwarted. He has already given us the prophecies. We know that the church is going to be raptured. (laughs) We know that there's going to be a tribulation where mankind is going to endure extreme distress. We know that the, the world is going to unite behind an antichrist. They're going to take the mark of the beast. And then there's going to be this great war of Armageddon 
where Jesus conquers once and for all the forces of evil and death, and he comes and he establishes his reign here on earth for a thousand years before the new heaven and the new earth, our home with Jesus for all eternity comes to pass. (laughs) It's happening, folks. This will happen. You know why? Because God said it would. You know what? Those modern Marxists are simply fulfilling what God has already said. (laughs) Mm. Now, back to Joseph. Sorry. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you had asked the cupbearer to put in a good word and he forgot? Really? Two more years? You might have thought, what was the purpose of those dreams? Wasn't that to get me out of here? But if you know the rest of the story of Joseph, right? You know that two years later, Pharaoh has a dream himself. And no one can interpret the dream. But the cupbearer, what happens now? Oh, I remember this guy. He's rotting in a cell. I think he might be able to do it. Joseph interprets the dream, rises to power, ultimately providing deliverance for his own family. And the point is this. God's purpose is always about his kingdom. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your personal peace. It's not about your prosperity. It's not about you. (laughs) It's about his kingdom. And Joseph stayed in prison until the time was exactly right. He rose to power just in time to prepare the famine, which ultimately kept his own family from starving to death. You see, you remember Joseph's brothers, right? Great bunch of guys, right? They hated him, sold him to these people going to Egypt, sold him into slavery. One of his brothers' name was Judah. It was through Judah that the lion of Judah... Jesus the Messiah was born centuries later. If Judah had died in the famine, the lineage of Jesus would have died. And Joseph's life was not about his comfort back at home. It was about fulfilling his role in God's overarching plan for mankind that required, get this, that God's plan required his slavery, living in a distant land, and being forgotten in a prison cell. I mean, isn't it great to be a part of God's plan? <laughs> you, you might mistakenly think, <laughs> well, not here, none of you. I mean, let's just talk about people in other churches. They might mistakenly think that God's purposes are about them. You may think it's about your career, your prosperity, your happiness. After all, you're a Christian, so that means God is here to make my life happy, right? Remember the question? For whom are you living? God has has designs on your life. He has this plan. He, 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 He wants to draw you into his life so that you know and walk in the fullness of his spirit. And each day you are guided by this abiding presence. He has delivered you from sin so that you would know the beauty of him. 
so that you would live in his purposes for your life. As a follower of Christ, you have walked out of the temporary, meager, false promises of the world and into the eternal, abundant, ironclad promises of the Father. He has changed your identity. You are no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You're a holy one of God. (laughs) Because of what Jesus has done. You've been adopted into a brand new family. You've been accepted, not because you earned it, but because he loves you. You have been given the stamp of approval, his righteousness, because of the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. The old sinful you, dead, dead, dead. It was crucified with Christ. It no longer lives. The life you now live is lived by faith. You trust Jesus to walk with you into every situation so that the reality of his kingdom purposes in you can be seen in this temporary world. That's the way we live, right? So let me ask you, do you think God was at work in Joseph sitting in the cell for two years? Or had he put Joseph on the shelf and said, hey, well, in two years I'll get back to you. We're going to do something then. Just hang in there with me. The psalmist writes about this scene in Psalm 105. He says this, and he called for a famine, he being God, called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now that sounds like fun. The Hebrew word tested is not really what you might think of like a teacher giving a student a test. It actually means to refine. In fact, it's more often translated in the Old Testament as refined than it is tested. It's to cast into a mold like something a goldsmith would do. It's the refining of metal. How do you think you refine metal? (laughs) With heat, with fire. It makes it pliable, it makes it pourable, able to fit into the mold able to be used for what the refiner needs it to be. Have you ever been molded by God? You know, we have pictures in the scripture of the clay, remember, and just kind of taking you and forming you. The example here, tested, is, is through the fire of adversity. So I thought, how in the world can I explain, how can I say this point? So I came up with this. God's fire is painfully beautiful. I talk with people all the time who wish God would do something. It might be to heal them, reach someone, provide more resources, They pray and they pray and they pray and the situation never seems to change. Is he listening? 
These are good things I'm asking for. Why did he forget me, God? You realize I'm in this jail for doing the right thing, right? By the way, God, I'm your servant and I'm doing you no good sitting here. I've used that one before, by the way. Day after day, the fire is hotter and hotter. and uh, It can be painful when the self-will begins to break. When the hope for worldly significance fades. And the beauty of Christ and Christ alone emerges. And you discover that if you have Christ, you have what? Everything. The great equation that we use around here a lot, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Are you there today? The temporary situation is overwhelmed by the eternal presence and... uh, at some, point the, at some point, the prison cell becomes the temple of praise. Because <laughs> you've discovered the pearl of greatest price. You've, 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 you've discovered. And you, you get to the point where you say things like this, Father, if I'm never healed, I will still praise you. If you never answer my prayer, I will still worship you. If you choose to leave me in the cell the rest of my days, I will continue to lift my voice in constant adoration of your great name because this world is not my home. There's a scene near the end of Jesus' life. He was in Bethany, home of Simon the leper, and um, a woman named Mary comes in, Martha's sister. She has an alabaster vial of expensive perfume. She pours it over the head of Jesus, wipes his feet with her hair. How did the others react? This is the most wasteful thing I have ever seen, basically. Do you realize how much money that perfume is worth? Mary simply did not care. She had discovered this is Jesus the Christ. This is the Messiah. And she had reached that point where nothing else mattered. Watchman Nee, writing on that scene, says this. The breaking of the alabaster box and the anointing of the Lord filled the house with the odor. 
with the sweetest odor. Everyone could smell it. Whenever you meet someone who has really suffered, been limited, gone through things for the Lord, willing to be imprisoned by the Lord, just being satisfied with Him and nothing else, immediately you smell the fragrance. There is a savor of the Lord and something has been crushed, something has been broken, and there is a resulting odor of sweetness. Are you today, let me ask you, are you all in? And I say it one more time, for whom are you living? One, two, three, four. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.